Hi, everyone. I'm Ben Pilgreen, and this is the Bring It Out podcast. My desire is to help bring out all that has been placed within you. And I believe today's conversation will guide you in the process. Well, hey, everyone. It is Ben, and I want to begin by just thanking you for listening to episode one that we released of season two last month and really excited for today. You guys know my passion and our guest today, her passion so much is to help people understand that God made them for a purpose to figure out what that purpose might be. And then really to give the courage and the strategy to step into what your purpose is. And uh, I am thrilled today to have Joe Saxton with us on the Ring It Out podcast. Joe, I'm going to get through this in just a second. But Joe is a wife, (laughs) a mom or a mom. I'll let her tell you why she says that. A speaker, an author, an ambassador for IJM, International Justice Mission. She does her own podcast hosting. She's a leadership coach. She started a women's collective called Azer that I'm sure she will tell us all about. But Joe, welcome to the Bring It Out podcast. Thank you. Thank you for having me. It's good to be here. Yay. Oh, I'm so excited that you are here. I mean, my tagline for this whole Bring It Out podcast, the course is something that I know resonates deeply with you. Like this idea that there is a creator who puts stuff in us. And because he puts things in us, there's so much he wants to bring out into our lives. And mm-hmm. I know that you're doing that with your life, first of all. So thank you for being that example. But secondly, you love helping people live this out as well. So like, where, where does your story start? Like, how did you even understand this for yourself, much less um, come around wanting to help other people do this as well? Yeah, thank you. Um, I grew up in London, in England, and I grew up in a neighborhood that didn't have many resources um, in for schools and things like that. They, we were the kind of neighborhood that got all the, the concerned expressions on one spaces and you didn't move yes. there. Uh, but when I went to college, I remember that I remember the moment, Ben, to be honest, I remember the moment when I was in my friend's room and they were talking about musical instruments and um, that they played. And one used to play the flute and one played the piano. And they talked about all these um, tests that they take in and qualifications they had. And I just sat there thinking, I never had any of that. I never had any of that. And Oh. One of them was talking about how now her flute just gathered dust <laughs> in the corner of her, in the corner of her dorm room. And I remember when I went home, I could feel this kind of, I felt really emotional about it, really, mm. really upset about it. And I, and I, mm. I, let me be clear. I've had no lifelong desire to play the flute. It's Same. not <laughs> that makes none, it to us. None at all. Um, but I could feel that I was, I, I just got really upset and. And I remember thinking, I actually remember praying and saying, God, what is wrong with me that I am getting really angry and emotional and now tearful about the fact that that my friends who are perfectly good friends are talking about the piano and flute. How old are you at this time? I was probably about 21. Okay. About 21 years old. And, And I remember thinking, you know what? In our neighborhood, people would talk about the achievement gap the achievement mm-hmm. gap. And I thought it's not an achievement gap. It's an access gap. We never had those things. Right. I didn't have the opportunity for the kinds of lessons that I could then ignore and learn a bit of and then leave as a dusty instrument in the corner. We didn't have that. And it wasn't that people weren't talented and it wasn't that people weren't bright and it wasn't that people weren't interested, but we were under-resourced and we were um, marginalized for all kinds of reasons. It was a very big immigrant community. Or mm. from many countries, other countries okay. in Europe, 
Africa, um, Caribbean, all, all around the world. And, and I remember looking and thinking, you can't tell me that none of us had potential. Mm. And you can't tell me that none of us, that there weren't musicians in there or business young men yeah, or women. Absolutely. And, but the tide of other things in that community often swept people aside. Yep. Um, and so their lives told a different story, but it, it wasn't always going to tell that story. And that, mm. but that we didn't have those on ramps or off ramps to any other stories. And I think that probably was one of the moments where I understood a lot of my childhood better. Yes. Um, and um, understood why college, well, it, college wasn't difficult, but it was frustrating. Like I could do it. It wasn't, and it wasn't academically that I, str- I didn't mm. struggle academically at all, but socially I noticed that people just had a shared story that I wasn't part of um, because I didn't have access to those things. And I think that mm. was probably um, one of the moments for me where I thought this, I just felt the injustice of it really. Yeah. I felt the injustice of, of it being decided who we would become before we had a chance to, to say yes or wow. no. Yeah. Gosh. And was there someone that outside of that experience, the thing that you're doing for so many people, did, was there someone who began to call things out of you who just said, Joe, I, whether it was those, I don't know, university people or parents or, you know, how, how did you get even to know that Hey, yes, there's a gap. Yes, it's unjust. It's unjust. Mm-hmm. But, but I can't, I can become, I can become, I, I'm not, re- yes, I'm restricted by some things, but I'm not restricted from becoming who, who I was created to be. Yeah. I mean, I think there were probably multiple voices about different things. Um, Nigerian families are really into education. Um, there mm. is a joke, uh, which has been set up, uh, said by a number of comedians that say you have a number <laughs> of choices. You can become a doctor a lawyer, an engineer, or a disgrace to the family. Those are your options. Do you know? I mean, uh, it. It's that kind of vibe. And so th- we were very much, I mean, that was pr- in some ways part of the tension. Like we weren't the first generation to go to college by any means in our family. Yeah. Um, multiple. And, mm. you know, we had uncles who had PhDs who happened to be cleaning the subway. It was a just a surreal um, connection. So there was, so on one level it, within the family, there was an expectation. I remember my aunt sitting me down at seven years old and saying, okay, it's not fair. The world you're in is not fair. Yeah. It's not. And, and, as, and she said, it's hard. She said, it's hard to make it here. And they'd been in England for maybe 20 years by then. My, my mom yeah. and, and my aunties all moved over in the 60s. Um, and she said, it's not fair. It's not going to be easy. And sometimes people won't like you because you're black. And sometimes they won't respect mm. you because you're a woman. So you're yeah. going to have to be at least twice as good, maybe three times as good at least. Wow. Um, and so there was a sense of, there was, that wasn't the calling out as such as it, as, uh, but there was a, an expectation of you will have to fight to make progress, but progress is yours. You know, progress is yours to have. It's yeah. just not going to come easily to you. Yeah. Here's the reality. Here's this the is, reality. Yeah. Joe, you're going to have to, yeah. It, yeah. It's not going to be wow. easy. And, and then, then when I was in, um, secondary school, so middle to, and high school, I, my English teachers were amazing. I mean, mm. amazing in terms of they would look at my work and they, they pull me to one side and say, look, I can see that you've really got away with words. And they're like, what do you want to do when you're old? And I said, well, I can be a doctor or a lawyer. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> these are my options. That's um, all I can do or a disgrace. These are the things or, or a disgrace and disgrace wasn't really an option. So <laughs> yes. Um, but, but they, they were very good at saying, you know, they like, 
we can see you're interested and we can see your, these kinds of things bring you alive. And have you, have you thought about this college? And, and, and I, and have you thought about these opportunities that could be like they'd enter me for writing competitions and things like that, just as a way to keep on. And so I, I would say I was very, I'm very grateful. I mean, very, very thankful for those kinds of leaders who use their influence in that way because they, yeah. they wouldn't let the environment, um, write us off, which was great. Yeah. No, that's, that's, that's incredible. And, and what is it you think for, for most people? Uh, they get in the way from them doing the thing they were made to do. I, I know one of your passions is to keep people from settling for, yeah. you know, again, they're, they're, if it's what God made you to do, it's not, it's not settling, but we think so many people are settling mm-hmm. for less than what they could be doing. What, why, why do we settle? Like, what's the, why does settling uh, seem to be the default amongst the human race? Mm-hmm. Uh, I know specifically we'll get into talking about women, but I think it's it's even bigger than that. I mean, I'm, yeah. you know, both obviously men and women, and it just it just seems easier to go for this rather than you know really yeah. do the thing that that I would love to be doing if I could do anything. I there as you say that three things come to mind, and I think you're right. It isn't uh, although my immediate current concern is women. I think I've seen it men and women uh, for yeah. years. For I sure. think one of the external things I'd say is cultural expectations. Um, mm-hmm. in terms of what is, what are you, what is your environment? Whether that culture is the culture of your family system, your neighborhood, yep. your school, what, what do the heroes get to become? Yeah. You know, yep. what are the value people? So in our, the irony with our family is for all the, I mean, everybody in my, all my siblings, everybody did great, but a lot of us are creatives. A lot of us are creatives. Like my brothers are, were musicians. I mean, they all went into IT and tech and all that kind of stuff in the end, but none of us became yeah. lawyers. In fact, anytime any of us got, um, were interested in law, we'd say, do you really want to do law or is this us? Do you know what I mean? Is this the family or if, mm, or do you want yeah. to do it? Um, interesting. And so, so ironically, we'd settle for, but yeah, great jobs, but not the jobs that we actually really wanted to do or were designed to do that, mm. that brought out our best gift. Yeah. I saw that a, a yep. few times yep. in, in our family. Um, so I think. I would, uh, I would say sometimes we're held back and we settle because of the cultural expectation. And I, and I get it, Ben. Do you know what I mean? I watched my mom and my aunts as immigrants endure all kinds of things so that their kids could have a better life. Yeah. And they had a picture of what that better life would look like. So I get it. <laughs> it's just that none of us could stand the sight of blood. So the doctor thing was never going to happen. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? It was that, that piece. Yeah. I think, <laughs> I think internally there are things, um, whether it's doubts, whether, mm insecurity, um, fear. I think fear has killed a lot of dreams. I think if fear was a hallway, Same. it would be littered and layered and wallpapered with dreams, ambitions, That's ideas. So um, yeah. And I think a lot, and I think it would be overcrowded with people who, who lived in that room. You know, yeah. I think it would be an overcrowded room. Um, and then sure. I, I think the other thing is sometimes um, the painful chapters of our story just take up so much mm. energy. You know, mm-hmm. I think, I think the, well, and I think life takes up energy as well, actually. I think the painful chapters take up energy and you just don't have capacity for the dreaming. I think the busyness yeah. of life, and I, and I think we've known that particularly collectively over the past couple of years, that yeah. we've all been in survival mode. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Just get through. Yeah, mode. there are no dreams. I'm just trying to get through this day. Do you know what I mean? 
like innovation sounds real cute, but seriously, I just, I just need to make sure my kid works out what that online class was that day. Um, yes. You know, so I think that has been that. So I think whether it's collective pain as Mm -hmm. we've all encountered or whether it's an individual part of your personal story, I think those things get in the way as well. No, that's, that's so good. I mean, you know, if you ask the average person and they were honest today, do you have these kind of dreams for your life? I think a lot of people would say not really, but I I think a lot of them would say not, not anymore. I mean, Mm -hmm. you don't have to teach a child to treat, right? But your point is well taken. Life knocks that out of us. Yeah. Um, As you think about uh, all the coaching you've done, of course, your own story, but how do we get back? So realism, we do need to be honest about, hey, here's the way the world works. It's yeah. not kind of this idealistic, always pie in the sky force. And and some people have been through way more pain than much more pain than others. But how do we help people in a realistic, but opportunistic and optimistic way, get back into that dreaming cycle? How, how, how have you seen, what does it take to learn how to dream again for, for the yeah. person who's first dream that, you know, I mean, so many people today, they, they, they would say this about their life. This wasn't the dream. My dream wasn't to be divorced or to yeah. battle anxiety yeah. or to go through a pandemic or to deal with racial injustice or, you know, a whole host of this, like this, he's kind of like Joseph, this was not the dream. Yeah. Um, but how did, how did, how did, how have you seen people be helped to either stick with it or to, to see a dead dream be resurrected or, or to start a brand new realistic dream? Yeah. I think, I think some of it has been, um, acknowledging that even naming mm. what's been lost you know um it's like permission to grieve permission to grieve yep. and to not feel you've got to get in the oppression olympics do you know what i mean um, mm. particularly for people of faith for people mm. of faith i find that it's like well you know there are people who are suffering more than i am and I'm like yeah there are okay that's true however god has room for both <laughs> you know yeah, it's true. one doesn't cancel out the other kind of thing. So yeah. I think some of it is permission to grieve, I found has been a really important part of the journey. Permission to name what actually happened. Mm. Um, what, that your dream was interrupted. That, that actually what's happening now isn't because there's something fundamentally wrong with you. It's not because yeah. you're weak. It's not because you're a quitter. It's not because of whatever other pejorative thing you're saying to chastise yourself into progress. But actually yeah. your dream got interrupted. Your dream got dumped. Or whatever, and and to name it in some ways lets you off the hook of being over responsible for its failure mm. as well. I think that's an important. I found that to be so good, unexpectedly important. And I've had people say to me, "Joe, I get what you're saying, this, but you do realize a pandemic happened, right?" And I'm like, "Oh mm. yeah, <laughs> you know, it's like we're not operating with the same things here." So that that's been one thing. Yeah. Um. And then, then after, after the general naming, I like to get practical with people and say, okay, what would help you? You know, if you are like really busy, like dreaming in its physical sense needs rest. You know, you've got to sleep to dream. It's good. Um, yeah. and I think in, even in this sense, professionally, we need room. Um, we need mm. room to dream again to, and, and I'm not even saying peaceful conditions. I just mean room because some of us, our dreams do come out of the angst and the challenge and the difficulty. Right. Um, but there does need to be some room and whether that is grabbing yourself a coffee or yep. going for a walk or having a day off or whatever, just some room, um, like taking 10 deep breath, breath or whatever, but mm-hmm. something, there needs to be some kind of physical space 
where you are not having to deal with a gajillion things all at the same time. Um, to help you dream again. And then I am a big fan and increasingly a big fan of curiosity. I was that kid mm. who always asked questions, you know, like the why question that got me into trouble all the yes. time. So much trouble just because I could not keep my mouth shut. And, and like something's happening, but what? <laughs> why are they doing this? Why is What's that? this? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I, I think there's, there is that question. I lo- One question I love to ask in terms of for us as individuals is I would say, who were you before anyone told you who you were supposed to be? Oh, wow. Running that down. Yeah. And that, that, that is one I love to come to because then you realize, or who were you before life happened to you? Because that helps us go back to that thread of, of that idea, that dream, that person, that desire, yeah. that longing. Um, and I like us to sit with that question for a little while. You know, who were you? before anyone told you. And some of us got told quite young, you know? Um, some of us were told in, in middle school, in elementary school. Some of us can't even ask. We're not sure. Um, we've always been labeled. But I think it just gives some, it allows this dream again, again to be a journey because it is really, it's a journey. It's not a kind of have a moment, write, get a vision board, bam, bam, bam. It might be yeah, for some of us. I wish, yes. <laughs> if only, if only. Some people present some it that way. It's like, <laughs> oh, you take this two-day seminar. You'll walk Boom. out. Here's You're the dream. Back. Here's the money for it. Oh. Yeah. Oh, the money for it. Wouldn't that be so good? <laughs> so good. Like a conveyor belt of here's your dream. Here are the finances for your dream. Here are the people for your dream. Here's the board of directors. Your here's team. the board of directors. Here's all the things you hate doing that someone else will do for you and your you dream. You don't have to do any of it. None you of don't it. Have to, all you get to do is just ride along the belt kind of thing. <laughs> uh, that would be so wonderful. Oh, now that. I've got a new dream then. I've got, I've got you're ready. That, well, that's I'm it. here to make it happen. I am that, here. I'm here to make it happen. That thing there, that was my new dream. Uh, and then, and then I would ask, um, you know, I, the other interaction, I would ask who people talk to about their dreams because mm. sometimes things come up in conversation. For those of us who are more extroverted, the process is part of the journey, but others Talking who are more in, yeah. introverted, you might need to journal it out, but. Have, even identifying that is a, is a key step in rebuilding that dream and rediscovering. And then I, I, again, I would come to some more curious questions. What, what are the hills you die on right now? What are the things that matter most to you? What are the things that really annoy you? Um, what are the things that get you really upset? Um, what are the things you get really excited about? Just to begin to identify. And maybe if we treated dreams a bit more like a jigsaw puzzle rather than a finished work of art that yeah. we automatically should get out there, it'd be easier to find our way back. That's so great. I mean, you've already said one of your passions is to come alongside women, coach yeah. and develop. And, and my assumption, of course, is that you want to release the things that, that are yeah. inside of them. Mm-hmm. Um, specifically speaking to women who are listening right now, uh, I know uh, all of your stuff relates to this. I know the Azer Collective, I'd love for you to talk about that. But, but what is it that women uh, are most helped by maybe because of what they tend to be most held back by. What, what would you say to the women listening right now? Uh, and, and again, wetting their appetite for, for the things that you're going to be doing out here in San Francisco in February. We'll talk about that. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, what, what is it specifically about women? I know that that's your passion. Uh, so I'd love for you to talk to them for a moment. Yeah, I think what I would say is you're seen. Yeah. You're seen. The rich complexity and the beauty of your life is seen. And that way you have with numbers and that idea you have, Mm. that creative idea you have, that way you have with people, that ambition you have, they're beautiful things. 
Yeah. They're really beautiful things and they're not there by accident. Those th- and your gifts and your talents and your ideas and your intellect is not a concession. You were created mm. that way. You were created with that strength, with that zeal, with that introspection, with that reflection, whatever it is, you were created that way. And, and too often, either for cultural reasons, religious reasons, we have hidden and buried those gifts and called it humility. Mm. We've called it humility. And then they, and they, and, and, and sometimes I want to just say to her, say to women in particular, step back and let it out. Yeah. And not just admit that it's there, but we can celebrate that it's there. Yeah. We can celebrate you have those gifts and ideas. Yeah. I mean, I, I was talking about this the other day, but it, it's, I can see sometimes we're apologizing for the way that we've been made. Yeah. Mm. yeah. And we, and we think that, you know, we think that's an insult to us, but you know, if I make fun of a car that you're driving, well, may, maybe it's an insult to you because you shouldn't have chosen it, but it's, it's really an insult to the, to the company that should have built a better car. Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. so like when I'm like, oh, I'm just, I mean, how many people begin the conversation in their minds or out loud? I'm just a this. I only have this. I can only yeah. do this. I've only done this. I'm just a mom. I'm just, yeah. you know, an intern. I'm just a student. Yeah. And it's like, let's stop apologizing because it's not an insult to us, but to the God who made us. Yeah. And, um, and again, yeah. we, we need to take responsibility for decisions and actions, of course, but hey, this is who I am. Yeah. And, and often your gifts and your talents. They, I mean, yes, you got educated and trained, but the resident kind of, those resident gifts didn't, you didn't create them. <laughs> you, you didn't exactly. make them. The creator made them. And if we believe, as the Bible says, that we're fearfully and wonderfully made, it's because you're fearfully and wonderfully made. They're yeah. good things. They're wonderful things. And I met many a woman, particularly the, um, like start, like entrepreneurial women or, and whether that was in the context of their home or actually more, but more often I've seen it in business women who are like, sure. what, almost feeling really conflicted that they were made this way. And it's like, well, yeah. actually, maybe other people have had a problem with you. Maybe they've been intimidated by you in the workplace. Maybe someone said you were too much or not enough this and too much mm-hmm. of that. But God who made you didn't, wasn't shocked by you. He didn't look and think, oh my, what have I done? Exactly. Whoopsie, accidentally well, yeah. placed it in the wrong vessel. Yeah, what are we going to do with this one? What are we going to do with this? But I, I, I think so often, for one reason or another, we may walk into those environments mm. and we've had just enough bruising now to be like, what am yes. I going to do with this? Just enough disdain, just enough criticism, just enough judgment, just mm. enough awkwardness to be like, maybe if I want to be welcomed and belong, I just need to dim that, put, go, the, go to the dimmer switch and dial it down a little bit. Yeah, well, talk to us men now. What are just a couple? I'm sure there are 25 things, but what are are a couple of? I know, (laughs) I know. And I, this is where do I apologize for every man on the planet (laughs) who ever has to live, starting with Adam? Uh, But what are the things for those of us, A, who should all desire to see the girls and women in our lives and our marriages and our families and our communities, our churches thrive? Mm Let's assume that we do have that desire. And I know that's yeah. not present in every man. But what are, what are some things we can specifically do to encourage the women, the girls in our lives to pursue what God made them to do with all the confidence and, and support? 
Yeah. I would say, first of all, I want to in- invite you to consider what are you normalizing? What do you normalize mm. in your workplace, in your home, in your environment? So my husband, he ha- we have two daughters. One of the things he normalizes, if there's something wrong with the car, the kids have, he, as he, he's taught them both how to drive, they fix it. He shows wow. them how to fix it. I mean, he's very good with cars. I'm not. Uh, <laughs> he's very good with cars. He normalizes. These are the things you want to identify. These are the things you want to look for. Another thing he norm- normalizes, them investing in the stock market. They've been doing it since they started middle school. Wow. Um, because, but that's, that's become their normal. And, and again, one of my kids was like the other day, my investments are really struggling right now. <laughs> yeah. Welcome to the club, kid. And, and he's like, baby, you got time. He's like, you got time. But, but again, he's normalized. That's the norm. That's, yeah. And so, and, and those are his particular gift sets for him. Like cars are a thing he loves. So in mm. some ways he's inviting them into the things he loves. Um, the stock market thing he loves. He's inviting them into things he loves. What are the things you love? that maybe you never thought they'd want to be involved in. Invite, are you inviting them into it? And are you normalizing it? And I say normalize because I think it was Marion Wright Edelman who said, it's hard to be what you can't see. Yes. And one of the challenges for women um, globally, but in different contexts is, do they get to see themselves reflected? Do they get to, and because if it's not normalized, you're not sure you should be there. Hmm. You know, um, there have been times, even in the last decade or so, where there have been more CEO, CEOs of Fortune 500s called John or Paul or whatever. I can't remember what they, I think it was John, than there were women. And, and I'm not saying that as a complaint. I'm saying that again, of when you look at the landscape, I'm, I'm, for the purposes of this part of our conversation, when you look at the landscape and you don't see yourself, you're not sure the how, even if you mm. think you should get there and yep. you have every, right to be there and that you're putting your gifts into practice contextually how do you get there and who do you talk to about the how of you getting there so i i want to invite you to think through how can you normalize the things that you do and the things that are maybe often associated with men but you're saying i believe you've got gifts in that area too so good um how do you how do you um celebrate that i would i would encourage men as well to not underestimate how many voices women get sent their way in their heads Mm. Um, in terms of if you don't see yourself there, um, or if you're not used to hearing a woman's voice from a perspective of leadership and all of these things, um, for, that actually has an impact when you don't yeah. see, you know, it's like, um, you see in popular culture when, um, we, there's lots of co- co- conversations about representation and how much it matters yes. and it matters because it validates and it, and it gives a bit of a pathway. It's not that when you don't um, when you don't see yourself that you don't ever try, you just have a great affirmation that it's possible for you. So when you, it, I, so I say to guys who are pastors, if the only times you talk about women from the pulpit is Mary and Mother's Day, don't be surprised if the women who are in business are like, this isn't connecting. Or if frankly, the women who are stay-at-home mothers are saying, this isn't connecting because I get it twice a year. <laughs> yes. <laughs> you, know, you know what I mean? If your biblical heroes only revolve around childbirth when they're a woman, then for the woman who either is unable to have children or who doesn't want children may feel like she or that she doesn't fit in in that space. You know, if if when you are um, celebrating leaders who really got it, got it done and you don't mention any women's names, you don't mention any people of color's names. If the people you're reading, celebrating, and it might be harder work for you. It might be harder work for you to find. Sure. 
um, because those industries like the, the publishing industry and other places haven't rep- haven't done you a favor in this. Honestly, the publishing right. industry hasn't necessarily helped you find your resources in a, in a multi-generational way, multi-ethnic way, um, and gen, and across gender way. But again, if the only people that you are, it, we're weaker for it. You know, the irony is all mm. of us, men and women Everyone. of every yes. ethnicity, you know, it's McKinsey and company who have done these studies. Um, they do it every couple of years, delivering through diversity. And they say again and again and again that the business leaders who, um, the more diverse a team, it's better for the bottom line, but it, but it also fosters greater networking, um, right. better thought, brainstorming, better conflict resolution. Why? Because you're dealing with difference as a, as normality. So I say this, yes, for your women, but I actually say it for you, mm. for the sharpness of your, for you to level mm. up in your leadership. You want to have access to the, to those stories as well. Um, but if the only stories you're telling are people who look like you, you might be sending a message you, you didn't even intend to send. You weren't trying to say that it was only people who look like you who were leaders. You were just trying to hand over a good book you found helpful. You know? Yes. <laughs> and you found yourself in a cycle because of that. Those are the things you'd say. So those would be my initial things. What are you normalizing? And yeah. as you celebrate, um, and that what, what things are you offering? Because you might be saying things you had no, you had no intention of saying. And if mm. so, so for example, in the boardroom, don't always let it be the woman who makes the tea or gets yes. the coffee or takes yep. the notes. Yes. Just don't let it happen. Don't let it happen on your watch. It might happen on someone else's watch. Don't let it mm. happen in your office. Why? Because you're better than that. And that's not what you were ever in trying, trying to say. It's things like that, that we, we'd be amazed. And then I would say, I would keep on inviting those voices, inviting women's voices and saying, what do you see? Because we're mm. all going to miss it. I'm not going to, I'm not going to represent yes. every woman well because women aren't a monolith. But the women in your context, maybe if they know they can say things safely <laughs> mm. without fear of retribution in some way, yeah. and they will tell you. They yeah. will tell you. I love that. That's really good. And, you know, one of the things that's coming to mind, um, you know, you know, sometimes we all think like, oh, because I'm responsible for a particular thing at a business or a church, I've got to be the one carrying it out. And, and this is a new thing for me. But over the last year, we just, I've started a teaching cohort. Mm-hmm. Uh, here at Epic in San Francisco. And, um, it's been, it's been like one of the most, I think, life giving things for the people, a part of it, but it's been so life giving for me to yeah. change my perspective. And, yeah. um, in this cohort, there's nine of us, including myself mm-hmm. and, uh, five are women, which wasn't really a thing in the situation I grew up in. Yeah. Uh, five are women, four are men. And it's so cool. They're single, they're married and they're in the fifties, forties, thirties. Uh, uh, you know, it's uh, a couple of African Americans. There's a Korean, an Indian, Puerto Rican, and it's just so been so fun. But I'm like, oh, what if I'm not doing all the teaching around here? And so, anyway, it's it's been it's yeah. been it's a new process, but it's been um it's been really life giving to see them develop and help each other out. And you know, I think it's just like, yeah, this is it. Just feels right. Like this is what we're meant to do. It's wonderful, isn't it? And I think you highlight a really good point when you say, oh, what if I'm meant to be doing all these things? Because I think one of the realities of calling up and calling out the gifts of others is it does cost us. There is a level of sacrifice. Yeah. I remember the moment that changed the game for me speaking wise uh, Mm. was years ago. I was, um, I was a college pastor at our church and it was a young adult church. And the senior pastor was always, um, he was, he was a very popular speaker in the UK, always invited to all the events, all that kind of stuff. 
And they invited him to speak and he accepted as you, as usual. And then he said to late, he said to us later, by the way, Joe, you're speaking. Um, you're going to be doing it. We'd, we'll tell them that later. <laughs> we'll tell them later. Um, that it's going to be you. He said, just get ready. Do you know what I mean? And I'm like, well, okay, fine, but, um, you might want to tell him. And, and it was, and obviously he's going with a couple of things. One, the English sensibility, which is you've got to be polite. So no one's going to say anything terrible at the end. Do you know what I mean? He, if, if he changes the game at the last minute, no one's going to say, you can't do that. They're going to be like, oh, okay, then fine. Uh, um, so I, so this event comes, thousands of people, they're expecting it to be him. Yes. And he comes on stage, he brings me with him. And, and cause he said, oh, you know, let's have, let's show different generations doing things. And he goes, so my church are, are taking care of tonight. Um, you're actually not going to hear from me. Joe's going to speak. And then he walks off, just walks off, walks wow. on stage. Wow. And gives up. All the, all the things. Um, and so I speak and it goes well, thank God and everything. But again, that could have been a conversation about when you're going to let somebody do something for years. Mm-hmm. And in the end, he sacrificed his spot so I could have a spot. Wow. I love that. And I didn't know I was going to share this story. So maybe I'll get in trouble, but I'm going to share it anyway. Uh, so uh, my background is I was a college pastor also. And, um, so about four months ago, Shauna and I got asked to come both speak at a big statewide event for college students. We're like, yes, doing it together. We love that generation. Going to try to speak passion. Yeah. And, um, they were calling the weekend live sent based. This is really important part of the story based on Shauna's first book, love where you live. That's her first published book. She's now, she's got Translating Jesus coming out next year, evangelism book. Anyway, so just keep, this is really important. The theme is based off what she wrote. Yeah. They change leadership. They call, we're on a Zoom call like you and I are on right now. Mm -hmm. I'm in my office. She's at home. The person's in their office. And this is really crazy. It's a woman. And she basically lets us know, hey, I just need you to know, uh, we don't feel like we can no longer... We can no longer have Shauna do the main stage at this event. So she was going to do Saturday night. I was doing Sunday morning. And I said, hey, Ben, we need you to do, we need you to do both talks. And she said, the lady said, it's a lady, but she's representing the kind of culture you just talked about. Yeah. And she said, can you do that? And I said, I didn't want to tell her why we're on the like, hey, we're going to need some time to talk about this. And um, because I wanted to make sure that Shauna would not agree to it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I just didn't know if she would mm-hmm. just, yeah, I just didn't know. And so called Shauna as soon as we got off. And thankfully, she, she was more fired up about it than I was. And I was pretty fired up. And and it felt good, you know, not for the first time, but just to be able to write this person back and say, hey, if this is what you need to do go for it. But yeah. at this stage of our life and leadership, wow. we've got to be true to who God's called us to be. And so we, and we'd already, they'd already bought our plane tickets and we had to pay the money back. And yeah, but it was just, it was, it just felt important to say, yeah. no, we can't, you know, we just, we can't, we can't do can't that. Do it. Can't do it. And um, so, yeah, no, thanks for that. I wasn't planning on <laughs> no, but sharing I, that it's story. A powerful thing. It's a powerful story. Thank you for sharing it. I, it's, that's really powerful. Yeah. And then I also know that you're an ambassador for international justice mission. Mm-hmm. I know justice is a huge thing. You and I alluded to a couple of things even before we started recording, but like just where does your passion for this come from? 
experience personally, what's happened in our world the whole time, but especially lately in anything that, that we could go a whole lot of different ways, but I'd just love to hear your heart. You know, for me, I think most personally, I mean, I'm a passionate personality and that's not always that helpful. True. Um, do you know what I mean? It, and it could be about anything. It could be about food, could be about what I call football, what you call soccer, could be anything. Wonderful. Um, but I think for me in this area, for me, it fundamentally comes from the understanding we see in Genesis that human beings are made in the image of God. If, if, if we're image bearers, if we truly believe that we are made in the image of God, then certain things just can't keep on happening. <laughs> yes. I think it's, I, 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 for me, I come back to it again and again, but are, are they an image bearer? Because as a Christian, uh, and as someone who is seeking to follow the words, the works, the ways of Jesus with every part yeah. of my life, with every part of my life, I want to see people through his eyes. I want to see people the way he sees them, to love them the way he, he loved them sure. and to value them and to express right. value the, and not the kind of value that I feel they're worth. The one that in, in their very creation, in their mm. very design, God showed them, um, God declared worth on them. Yeah. And has always done throughout all human history. And so for me then, um, justice is an inevitability. It's an inevitable overflow of that. If human beings are valuable, sure. then whatever goes wrong needs to be set right. And right. Yeah. Yet in small ways, have I encountered in, yeah, I have. Yeah. For the color of my skin. Absolutely. Still do for the, mm. for the, um, for my gender. Yes. And do my family experience. Yes. We do. And one of the most, the hardest things about, uh, about those kinds of things is how dehumanizing it is. Yeah. Injustice is so dehumanizing. And it, and it says, you're, it, what happens to you matters less. Why? Because mm. you're black, because you're Asian, because you're yeah. Latina. Um, yeah. what, what happens to you matters less. Why? Because you live in that part of the world. You live in that, you live, you came from the wrong side of the streets because you are white and working class. It matters less. And, and we, we can, there are lots of things the church can disagree on, but we can all fundamentally say that that doesn't match. That doesn't match what our God said. And it certainly doesn't match the reason why he came. Yes. And so, <laughs> and so as such, then, our, then it says, so what are we going to do about that then, friends? Are we going to say, well, oh, that's such a pity. <laughs> that's such a shame. Terrible things are happening. Oh, well. Or do we say that's such a, that's such a shame things are happening and we act on it. Or, and, and yeah, we do. Or do we say, okay, God, how can we be part of what you're doing in the renewal of all things? Yeah. Because when you came, you didn't passively respond to it. You didn't passively yeah. that, oh, that's so sad. Your, your actions overturned things and shifted the narrative and shifted people's lived experience. And so yes. anything I can be part of, which helps shift people's lived experience so that they are getting glimpses of the father heart of God and they are, in, and they, they are recognizing, they, they are hearing that a God sees who mm. they are and sees what he sees, not just what the world has put on them. I think I've yes. got, to, I think I've got to, at the very minimum, it's a yes. We got to do something. Yes. Yeah. And it can feel paralyzing. There's so much, it would take so much. And yeah. sometimes, sometimes with that mindset though, we, we almost do nothing. Oh gosh. Yeah. The and amount like, of, hey, oh yeah, totally. The amount of times uh, I'm like, oh, it's too much. And then it's like, Joe, but okay, but anything? <laughs> yeah. Just anything. Just, just something. Start yeah, to someone, someone today. who knows what to do. Do you know what I mean? That's yes. the thing. That's so good. 
That's so good. And how are right now in this season, like how are you deciding what your yeses are? I, I know so many opportunities mm-hmm. come your way and there's limited time and all the all the things. Yeah, I mean, I think there are a couple of uh, general things. Like, I mean, you know this better than I do. I have a senior in high school, and so, so which is just ridiculous because she was two yesterday. Uh, I felt that. Yesterday, I feel that. yesterday we were talking about Elmo, and now we are talking about what college and how she's going to desert <laughs> me. So that's fine. Um, but so some of it, it revolves around our family life. My husband um, yes. is in fintech. I was going to tell you what he does for a living, but I keep on forgetting, and it's too late to ask now. So there we go. That's um, amazing. <laughs> and that, but. But we, as a family, we kind of review and just see what, there are those things that, that. There's so a lot of fintech some, jobs out here in San Francisco, just so you know. Yeah. <laughs> hey, Come thank on. You. you can do what you do from anywhere. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> yeah. The kids will be like, let's go to California. Well, we used to live in California, so they'd be like, let's uh, go back. Okay. Sorry, I um, interrupted you. And um, so that's part of it. Like one of the passions, obviously, is family and how do we look out for a family. And then I think in this chapter of my life, um, it's funny things about calling and passion. Um, and part of the reason why I ask some of the questions I ask people is because you often see a thread. You often mm. see a thread looking back or of something that was a hill that that person would die on, a passion, a thing that always yeah. irritated them, you know? Yeah. And so I think for me, that thing about access and opportunity has always been a thing. And in this chapter of my life, it really is women leaders. And so my yeses tend to revolve around is there a way to connect to a woman leader in the midst of this? Um, and if there is, I'm in. Or is there a way to create something around women leaders thriving? If there is, I'm in. <laughs> and those Great. tend to, those tend to guide the yeses most of all. Cause I know I'm being faithful to what I, I, what I'm called to if, if, in, if investing in women leaders, um, is involved. That's great. And speaking of that, tell us a little bit about Azer and yeah. vision and, and what's coming up that people could participate Yay. in Thank wh- you wherever, wherever they live. Yeah. So Azer Collective is basically a leadership intensive for women leaders, where, whether they are leaders in business, whether they're leading churches, whether they're leading in the context of their homes. We just recognize that um, everybody has influence and I, I, um, I want to encourage us to be intentional with it. And it, and it grew out of Honestly, a frustration. <laughs> I want to say I was dreaming. My dreams were irritants. Do you know what I mean? They were my dream. My dreaming came through and often has come through irritants. Mm. And the irritate, the irritation for me came out of speaking at events and meeting lots of women in the loo during the break <laughs> bathroom and yeah, um, we'd be you. chatting and, um, <laughs> and they'd often ask me really deep leadership questions like profound hmm. ones prof- and and they'd be very apologetic and they'd be like look I'm really sorry to interrupt you I'm like well we're here now and and also we're all chatting and then as one would ask a question another would say and could you feedback on this and you'd have these consultation hmm. times and these coaching times and I would and this happened multiple times hmm. like multiple times in multiple countries the same thing again and again and again and honestly when I got to a point where I thought you know what Women in leadership and their calling is worth more than the five minutes they can grab when they're mm. going to the loop. Mm. That is not our best. That is not our best for our leaders. <laughs> you know, that yeah, is I'm with you. I can way. imagine. That is not the best way for, for these phenomenal leaders to be part of the renewal of all things. <laughs> yeah, they're not, they're not asking you like, hey, where did you get those shoots? No, no. That, that's the conversation you can have in that setting. That's, like, that's what the, we did. We had no shoe time because we were all leadership time. <laughs> and, and so, and so, um, 
Asa was born out of that. And, and the reason why I wanted to keep it open to women of, uh, in all spaces is because, and so I grew up in an environment which is not far, not dissimilar to where you are. And yeah. I grew up in London. Um, very small percentage of people go to church on a Sunday. Sure. I moved to Sheffield where 2% of people went to church on a Sunday. So you wow. really were defined by your mission. So if you were in business, that's where you were a missionary. That was your calling. That was your field. That was your faith. And so all our discipleship, all our training was, was front and outward facing because it mm-hmm. had to be because you're, yeah. most of us weren't from, from Christian families. So 24 mm-hmm. seven, you are walk, working out what it means to be a walking, talking overflow of the kingdom of heaven. Yeah. And what that means when you do your taxes, what that means in that business meeting, what that means when you hear that slur, what that means when that slur is referred to somebody else. Do you know what I mean? Or how mm-hmm. or your ways of doing business that, and, and when we looked at the Bible, People had jobs. Lydia really was in business, all that kind of stuff. So I wanted to have a gathering that had all of us because we were all on mission. Yeah. You know, we're, we're, we're all serving, living out our calling. Yeah. I love that. And we deliberately keep it small, um, about 75 to 85, maybe 90, so that there's a chance for women to network, um, mm. a chance for women to be intentional about their, like we, we often get training in different spaces, but, but the integration of faith, leadership, life, um, and it being a space where you can talk to, uh, I guess, all, basically all the things I didn't used to have, I want us to have. So I wanted someone yeah. to talk to about ambition and leadership where I didn't feel like a weirdo. I wanted sure. a chance to talk to another woman saying, how, how are you making it work? How do you negotiate pay? How do you, mm. we always talk about pay. Um, how do you work out your business principles? How do you, and how can we help one another? And how can we invest in one another? How can we mentor one another in some way? And how do we make sure we leave our world a little bit better than it was when we came in? Yep. That, that's what Aza is for. And Amazing. the word, the word Aza is, um, from Genesis to, I did Hebrew at college. I did other things, but I also did Hebrew at college. And, um, it's quite impressive. And uh, I barely made it up. Three years, dude. It was a lot. I was very confused by the end. Um, but the word Aza is translated helper and is the word is when we hmm. first hear a woman described, she's, um, our, um, Genesis 2.18, I'll create a suitable yeah. helper. It's uh. Aza connected. And the word Aza, we've often put on, and it, it's not, no one has a problem with serving. It's just like, it's like, um, is, is that it? Kind of, it just can, it can be a jarring thing for, again, when we're thinking about our gifts and our calling and I've got this call to do these yeah. things and I'm, I want to be a venture capitalist. <laughs> it's like, um, but we've often put on it our Western 21st century interpretation of the word. And the word is a combination of words, meaning to rescue and to save and to be strong. And for a Good. number of women, the idea of being strong is like there's something wrong with them. And it's like, well, actually it's in your God-given DNA. It's in your image bareness. That's where your strengths came mm, from, honestly. Um, it's a verb as well as a noun, mean, protect, surround, defend, and cherish, which mm-hmm. covers the span of, of personality types. Most times we see it in the Bible, it's God delivering his people God, from his yeah. enemies. It's the nature of helping. His kind Strength, of, yeah. we'd never see him as a backup plan. <laughs> or, or at least right. when we do, it's not when we're doing our best life <laughs> kind of thing. And so it was, it, and I remember when I, when I first learned it, it was a game changer for me. It was mm. a game changer of the contribution I could make. It was a game changer for who I, my very identity that strength was good. Now, if I've got issues, I've got issues and they still need help. But, but my fundamental wiring. Yeah. And so to, I wanted to have a gathering which said, in this room, you are not tolerated. You are not used. You are celebrated and so you good. are cultivated. Um, and we are not asking you to put your actual gifts to the side and express them in ways that make us 
better. We want you to be the best CEO. We want you to be the best CMO. Wherever it, wherever it plays out, right. we just want to empower you in it. And that's what Aza's for. Um, so we started in Minneapolis because that's where I live. Yes. We did one in Alaska. That was wild. It was so much wow. fun. Um, did one in Sacramento. And in February, um, we go. will be in February, we will be coming to San Francisco. Thank you to you. Um, oh, and I'm do, so excited. And, and be doing Aza there. So if you if you are a woman in leadership, if you know a woman in leadership, you know, we have, I've chatted to a number of male leaders who are like, how do I get my team on this? I'm like, send them, right. send them, tell them this is what their development budget goes on. If that's what you're saying, we have many people send their wives, send their daughters, send, do you know what I mean? Send their aunts. Send, so it's, so although it's specifically for women, um, this, for those men who are wanting to partner with their women leaders, yep. let this be the tool. If it, if it could serve you and your context, because it's not an end in itself. It's a catalyst for what, for the work you are doing. That's how I see it. If people, I mean, cause it's a two day intensive. We're not all doing stuff together forever. You're going back to your leadership space. So yeah, you're all, you're invited folks. Bring them on. That's, Make me come yeah, to San Francisco bring them often. On. It'd be great. I love it. And you can find more about that and all the other things Joe is doing at joesaxon.com. Yep. This has been a fascinating conversation. Before we wrap it up, is yep. there anything at all you want to add? I think I would say, um, I know it's been a really brutal time for us all. You know, it's been mm. a really, in, in, in myriad ways. Yeah. And I know this era will not, um, will not have a fixed bow ending for us. That I, I'm at this point where I'm like, maybe in 10 years, I'll look back and I'll understand a bit more. Mm. Um, and I know for us, many of us, men and women, our calling is under the rubble. I mean, it's under the rubble of the last couple of years. Yeah. But I would encourage us to say that our God is really good at removing rubble and helping so us rebuild. I love that. Well, Joe, this you're fantastic. I knew this would Thank be a great you. conversation. I know we're going to get to hang out in person in February. Yeah. By the way, that February event, Friday and Saturday, it will be for women, as you mentioned. And then Joe yeah. speaking on this Sunday at Yay. Epic Church, which oh, I can't wait. It's going to be so great. And... um I, yeah, I just want to thank you. I pray God will bless you, you. Um, as you and Chris raise your two daughters and help them discern how do they make sense of so many of the things we've talked about today in this world. Yeah. What I love right now is, you know, our kids are between 14 and 18. And and uh, I, I love that so much of what we're trying to pour out to this world. The principles, I'm just sitting at the table and putting into these boys and girls. It's like, mm-hmm. hey guys, God has stuff he put in you. And the, our four, I don't know about your two, maybe they're exactly the same, but our four are so different from each yeah. other. Mm-hmm. And so we're just trying to go, hey, you don't need to, and, and really saying, don't be mom or dad. We want yeah. to do cool stuff too. Yeah. But go do the thing that you were made to do. And so, yeah, I really appreciate your uh, valuing of women, valuing of your family, and then additionally helping women everywhere. And, and, and even me today figure out, yeah, there's a couple of things that I think I will take away and go, hey, I'm going I'm to do this better. I want to step into that. So thank you so much for joining me on this episode of the Bring It Out thank podcast. You. Thank you so much. So much fun. All right. Thanks for listening, everybody. And we look forward to what's ahead for you as you step into the dreams or you see those dreams resurrected so long. Thanks for joining me on this episode of the Bring It Out podcast. If you want to go deeper, I've created the Bring It Out course and it's absolutely free. This 11 session course includes teaching for me, as well as a PDF guide to help you process all you learn along the way. You can download the course at benpilgreen.com slash course. Thanks for listening today. 
May you bring out everything that's been put inside of you.